enjoy getting a hundred questions from kids all the time. As I've subbed and as I've done different teaching, one of the things I've noticed is usually the smaller the kids get, the more questions they have. And my first day ever substitute teaching, I did kindergarten. It was at my mom's school. And I didn't realize how small kindergartners were. I also didn't realize how many questions they would have. Some of them asked me questions like, did I play professional basketball? And the answer is no, I did not. That may be surprising to some of you. Uh, one kid asked me, he said, my dad's in jail. Have you ever met him before? And I said, no, not that I know of. Someone asked me if I'm a giant because their teacher was about five foot tall and I'm obviously bigger than five feet tall. Several kids through the years have asked me, they've said, I think I've met you before. Are you my brother's friend? In fact, my first day subbing here, I had five or six kids ask me that at Indian Creek, asked me if I graduated from that school or if they remembered me from somewhere. And I'd never seen any of these kids before in my entire life. And then more, normally when people ask me or they find out that I'm a pastor, they'll ask me, hey, if you're a pastor, doesn't that mean you can't get married? And the truth is no, pastors can get married. That would be more of a Catholic thing. Sometimes kids ask hard questions too. They'll ask questions that make you uncomfortable, not because they're not true, but because they are true and they're hard. I've had kids ask me, why did my loved one pass away? Why did my parents not love me? Why are we here on earth? Is God real? Why is there evil on earth? Is God unfair? Does God care about my problems? And the truth is, as kids ask hard questions... Sometimes we ignore those questions because they're difficult to deal with, because we don't want to spend the time thinking about them. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable asking hard questions. We think that when we ask questions, we have doubts. Sometimes we have questions for God. Let me introduce you this morning to a man named Habakkuk. Now, there's different ways you can say his name. I always grew up calling him Habakkuk, and so that's what I'm going to call him in this series. We don't hear a lot about him in Scripture. There's only three chapters that he wrote in the Old Testament, and he's a minor prophet. That doesn't mean he's unimportant. It just means that his book is smaller than some of the other books in the prophetic books. As Habakkuk is a smaller book, and it's... Sometimes we think it's insignificant. Don't miss the message that Habakkuk has for us this morning. You see, sometimes we ignore the prophets, especially the minor prophets, because they're a little bit confusing. They use words we don't understand. They have difficult themes and languages. But in the book of Habakkuk, we find a message that I think is extremely practical. And so we're going to start a sermon series on Habakkuk. It's not going to be a long series because it's not a long book, but this morning we want to look at the book as a whole, the whole book of Habakkuk, and we want to ask the question, why should we study it? Why should we take time the next five or six weeks and study the book of Habakkuk? And while Habakkuk may not stand out to us, what I hope we see this morning is that there are a lot of reasons why we should devote careful time and attention to this book. And so before we look at some reasons why we should study the book of Habakkuk this morning, I want to do a bit of a crash course on Habakkuk and help us get acquainted with who this man was and the book that 
he wrote. There's a couple of things we need to understand first about the book of Habakkuk. First of all, we want to know about the author. His name is Habakkuk. It's not a name that I see a bunch of parents naming their kids today. Sometimes the minor prophets are popular children's names for Christian parents. I don't see any kids named Habakkuk. So what is known about this man? There's not a lot outside of this book. We know from this book that he was a prophet. We know that he was around during the time of King Jehoiakim. This was at the end of the kingdom of Judah. We have a couple other things that we can reasonably assume about Habakkuk. He could have been someone who worked in the temple. He could have been someone who led worship in the temple. And I'll get to that as we talk about chapter 3 later on in the sermon. His name means one who embraces. So some people have said it could be one that God embraces. God embraces Habakkuk and the issues that he has. Or it could be one who embraces God's plan for his life. Whatever the case, that's what his name means. Other than those things, we don't really know a lot about Habakkuk in general. Let's look next at the background. What's going on during the time when Habakkuk was written? Well, this is one of the last books written before Judah went into exile. If you've read Old Testament history, the books 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you'll remember that there's several kings in Judah and in Israel, and most of them have one thing in common. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes you would have a good king, but most of them did not do what was right in God's sight. So God would tell them through the minor prophets they needed to repent, they needed to turn back to God, and if they didn't turn back to God, God would send them into captivity. And around the time that Habakkuk is writing, God finally does that. He's sending them into captivity. Now they don't realize this yet, This is part of the message that God is giving Habakkuk. Now, I mentioned earlier that I believe he was around the time of King Jehoiakim. He was the last real king in Judah. Some people have different opinions on that. They think he was alive during the time of other kings. I think based on what we find in the book of Habakkuk, some of the themes, some of the wording, and then as well just what we know from the other parts of Scripture, it's safe to assume he was alive during King Jehoiakim's reign. He was also alive during the time of some other minor prophets, Zephaniah and Jeremiah. And so his message is somewhat similar to the message of those books. Now, I thirdly want to talk about the minor prophets in general, the minor prophets. And so those are the books that aren't the five major prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So the rest of the books at the end of the Old Testament are part of the minor prophets. And that doesn't mean they're not important. It just means they usually don't have longer books. If you've ever read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are long books. If you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, if you got through Leviticus and Numbers, the odds are if you get to Isaiah, you're probably going to start struggling again because it's just such a long book to try to get through. But these books are important. A prophet, in general, is one who spoke the message of God. God would give them a message. We see that here in Habakkuk 1.1. It says the oracle, or the message, that God gave to Habakkuk. So they spoke the message of God. They saw the wickedness of Judah and Israel, and they would give a message to these people. Now, not all the prophets just 
spoke to Israel and Judah, to God's people. The book of Nahum is about the fall of Nineveh and the destruction that would happen to that city, as well as the book of Jonah. The book of Obadiah deals with the Edomites and their captivity and fall as well. So God didn't just use the minor prophets to talk about Israel, but they're mainly about God's people. Now, one of the things that makes the minor prophets difficult is that they're kind of a mixture of different genres. I've tried to mention this before as I've taught and preached here. There are different genres in the Bible. In the New Testament, you have the Gospels. You have the book of Acts. We just spent the last year going through Acts. And those are stories. For the most part, those are different accounts of the life of Jesus and then the life of the early church in the book of Acts. You have the epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. Those are more didactic. They're teaching you something. They're giving you commands. In the Old Testament, you have narratives, which are stories, but you also have poetry as well, the Psalms. What's difficult about Habakkuk and some of these other prophetic books is they mix a lot of these genres together. They have some narrative stories in them. They have poetry in them like Habakkuk has. And then they have their own genre, which is prophecy as well. So just remember those things as we look at this book. And then lastly, I want to talk about Habakkuk in the Bible. Have you ever asked yourself this question when you're studying a book? Why is this book in the Bible? And the answer is simple. God wants it to be there, right? But take a step back. Zoom out for a second from Habakkuk. What does Habakkuk add to the Bible? Well, historically, we see God's attitude towards Judah as they were sinning against him and turning towards their own way and how God brings them into captivity. Zooming out from that to a more theological view of the book, Habakkuk brings some tough questions to the mind of God. It deals with the problem of evil. It deals with the issues of suffering in life. Have you ever thought about that question? How can a good God allow the world to be evil? Habakkuk wrestles with that question. And so even theologically, in view of the whole Bible, we see Habakkuk has a lot to offer us as a book. So we want to go back to that question now. Why should we study Habakkuk? Why should we spend the next five or six weeks looking at this book? And I want to give us four reasons why. The first reason we should study Habakkuk is because the earth is full of wickedness and injustice. It's not a very cheerful way to start our sermon this morning. Why should we read this book? Because the world is bad. Because it's full of wickedness and injustice. Sometimes we feel this, and we'll talk more about it in our own modern world in a second. But look at Habakkuk chapter 1 with me. Look at verses 3 through 4. I'll just read the second half of verse 3. Habakkuk sees the world around him. He sees Judah. And this is what he has to say about it. He says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Habakkuk says, as I just go through life, all I see is violence. I see fighting. I see contention. I see bitterness. Remember, part of the prophetic role was not just to give the message of God to the people, but it was to look at the people and see how they were living. And Habakkuk says the world has gotten bad. It is violent. It is contentious. In verse 4, he says, So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. 
for wickedness surrounds the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk, as he's bringing his complaint to God, he reveals that there's a lot of violence and wickedness in the nation of Judah. He feels like he's one of the few people who are doing what is right. There's a couple of righteous people. Everyone else around us is wicked. And if you read Habakkuk, you think this could sound like our world today. I don't watch the news. I don't really have cable television. But any time that I've tried to watch the news in the last few years, all I hear about is violence. I hear about mass shootings. I hear about terrorism. I hear about all these evil things happening in the world. We see that the morality of our country is going down too. 61% of people believe that abortion is not only okay, but that it should be legal. 62% of people believe that homosexuality is acceptable. Only 30% of people attend church regularly. Even when you ask Christians, 72% of Christians argue that they're basically good and don't have a sinful nature. 58% that were polled in the survey said that they can earn their way to heaven. And 57% said they believe in karma, some kind of luck or magic. Now, again, surveys are what they are. They don't survey everyone. I don't think any of us got a survey from this company. But they do indicate to us that there is trouble in the minds of Americans and even in the church as well. Do you ever feel like Habakkuk? Are you ever struggling with the wickedness and the evil that is in the world today? Do you ever get frustrated at injustice? Habakkuk did, and he tells God, this is what is going on. This is what is happening right before our eyes. Why is all of this wickedness taking place? As you watch the news, as you read different articles, step back and think sometimes, why is this happening? And for us as believers, we have to take a step all the way back to the book of Genesis. What happens in the book of Genesis? God creates the world, and he says what? It is good. He said the world was good until what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. Now think about their sin for a moment. What did Adam and Eve actually do that was wrong? God told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did it anyways. They disobeyed God. Now for some of us, we look at that and think, well, all they did was they disobeyed God, and they ate maybe an apple or another piece of fruit. Is that the worst thing that we've heard of? Perhaps not. But as Paul says in Romans, think about all the sin and death that come from that event in Genesis. What happened to their sons, Cain and Abel? Cain killed his brother. What happened in Genesis 6 with Noah? God flooded the earth because it was so full of wickedness and violence, he could not stand it. Have you ever read the rest of Genesis? Abraham lies about his wife and says it's his sister. He has sexual relations with his servant to go against God's plan for having a son. If you read the story of Joseph, there's injustice as well. What is Genesis teaching us? That the world is full of wickedness and violence and injustice. Think about this before I move on. What else is the theme of the book of Genesis? You get a lot of genealogies as well. This person lived several hundred years, and what happened? And he died. 
This person lived another couple hundred years, and what happened? He died. Genesis not only teaches us that there's sin and wickedness in the world, but that the wages of sin is death. We have questions about why is there death? Why is all of this happening? It's because of our sin. And Paul says that in the book of Romans. He talks about how sin came from Adam and spread to the whole world and death through sin. So death reigns over the world. So why should we study Habakkuk? Because the world is evil. Because the world is full of wickedness. Habakkuk sees this. He recognizes this. And he has questions for God because of it. So I want to look at the second reason why we should study the book of Habakkuk. Because life is full of hard questions. Because life is full of hard questions. Sometimes when kids would ask me questions when I was subbing or I was teaching, I didn't know the answer. That's really hard to tell a kid. They think that you have all the answers, that you know what's going on. Sometimes you don't have any answers. Sometimes life is full of hard questions. And Habakkuk shows us this. Look at verse 2 with me. Habakkuk really starts talking to God. He starts his book out by asking God questions. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Habakkuk sees the wickedness of the world and he has questions about it. Now, some of us think as we have questions and maybe even doubts that it's wrong to bring these questions before God. And so what do we do? We may not question God, but we might question other people. We might complain about, I can't believe that this happened in my life. I can't believe that God put these circumstances here. Or maybe they won't even blame God for it. But the truth is, when we have hard questions, oftentimes the person we're blaming is God himself. So what Habakkuk does, which I think is so brave And so bold of him is he brings his questions to God. Now, what are his questions? Habakkuk says, God, I'm seeing evil. I'm seeing wickedness in my world. And I'm asking you to help me. And I don't know why you've not answered. I keep looking at this going on. I pray for you to make changes. And nothing seems to be happening. He says, it's like you can't hear me. The next phrase, he says, how long am I going to cry to you violence? I see all this wickedness and violence in the world, and you will not save. Habakkuk seems to be a man of faithful prayer, going to God, and he says, God, I see this violence happening. I'm crying out to you to save me, to save others, and I'm not getting any answers. Now, what's interesting about Habakkuk's questions is not that he doesn't believe in the attributes of God. It's very clear from these questions that Habakkuk knows God can hear him, that Habakkuk knows God can see him, that Habakkuk knows that God is all-powerful, all-loving, all-gracious, all-just, but God isn't doing anything, at least from his perspective. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? He says, you've put me in the situation where there's evil And it's almost like I can't get away from all this wickedness. But Habakkuk says, it's like you don't see it. Why do you look idly 
at wrong. Habakkuk brings his questions straight to God and asks God for answers. It's interesting who we blame things on. When I was teaching, I had several students who were behind on their homework. And when they were not turning in their homework, I'd have to give them a zero. Now, most parents either weren't checking their kids' grades or they just didn't care to see what their kids were missing. There are a couple parents who thought it was my fault. And so they called me up and they said, my kids said that they've turned in all their homework. They've done everything you've asked them to do. They're still failing your class. And I said, Really? And so I went on to read to them how many assignments they were missing in my class. Would you believe it? That kid came to school the next day. He had all his work turned in. He was the nicest, most respectful kid that I ever had in class. He never misbehaved again. Sometimes it's interesting who we blame things on. We have questions in life. It's useless to pretend like we don't. Sometimes we have questions for God. I want to be careful with this. I don't think it's wrong to bring our questions to God. Habakkuk does this, and God doesn't strike him with lightning. He doesn't tell Habakkuk, hey, don't ask questions. God welcomes Habakkuk's questions. He realizes that life is full of these questions. We'll look more at what it means to walk by faith while we have questions for God. But Habakkuk is saying that I know the person who controls all of my complaints. It's not my neighbor. It's not my friends. It's not my family. It is God, and he is sovereign. There's many hard questions that Christians have to deal with. Why is there evil in the world? Why do Christians have to suffer? Why is there so much heartache? There's national questions. Why does God allow America to have leaders who seem to turn their back on him, who don't promote Christian values? There's personal questions. Why did my loved one have to die? Why did my child walk away from the faith? My wife and I recently had a question like this. Why did God not let our child live? Life is full of hard questions. These questions, along with thousands of others, plague the hearts and minds of believers everywhere. It's not wrong to have questions for God. God doesn't rebuke Habakkuk. He doesn't strike him with lightning. But eventually Habakkuk must learn what it takes to walk by faith. So why should we study Habakkuk? Number three, because it's hard to be faithful. Look with me at chapter two. In the rest of chapter 1, we see a back and forth between God and Habakkuk. God gives Habakkuk an answer. Habakkuk doesn't seem to like the answer that God gives. So he has another complaint for God. He has more questions. He believes in the sovereignty of God. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them as a reproof. So Habakkuk has more questions for God. He recognizes the sovereignty of God, and he waits for God to answer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. 
I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk says, I have these questions and I know that I've not found a satisfactory answer yet. God's answer to Habakkuk in chapter 1 only makes him have more questions. And so Habakkuk says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for God to answer. And what is God's answer to Habakkuk? I don't want to spoil what we're going to learn in the rest of our series through the book. But look at what God says in verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, his soul, talking about the Babylonians, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Why is God talking about this? Part of his answer for Habakkuk is that God is going to use the Babylonians. He says, yeah, Judah is wicked, but guess what? I'm going to use an even more wicked nation to punish them for what they've done. And so Habakkuk says, why would you allow Babylon to succeed? Around this time when Habakkuk is writing, Babylon is rising to power. They are taking on this international stage. They've just defeated the nation of Assyria. They are becoming a worldwide power. Habakkuk knows about them. He can see all of this taking place. So he has even more questions for God. So God addresses the Babylonians. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. They are prideful. They are not living righteously. But for Habakkuk, for God's righteous people, God says the just will live by faith. You've probably heard this phrase before. It's quoted three other times in the New Testament, once in the book of Galatians, once in the book of Romans, and once in the book of Hebrews. It says the just shall live by faith. The righteous people will live by faith. What is faith? In Hebrews, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a belief, we could say, in God, in his, pro- in his promises, even though we can't see God and what he is about to do. This would be true for Habakkuk. Habakkuk can't see what God is doing. That much is clear from the book. But he has faith in what God is going to do. But I don't just think this is talking about some abstract idea of faith, of just belief. Because God says to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous will be faithful. It's hard to be faithful sometimes. It's hard to be faithful when you're Habakkuk and you see everyone else being wicked, everyone else being violent. It's hard to be faithful when you have questions and you have concerns that God seemingly hasn't answered yet. But God says, look, these other people, they're going to be proud. They're not going to be righteous. But if you're going to follow God, you will live by faith. What does that mean for Habakkuk? God is saying that Habakkuk is going to keep walking with God. He's going to keep being righteous. Guess what? All this book of Habakkuk, the rest of what God is going to say, judgment against Israel, judgment against Babylon, Habakkuk's going to have to speak this to the rest of the nation. 
he's going to have to tell them what God has said. They probably aren't going to like what he has to say, but God encourages him to be faithful. We may have questions this morning. We may have doubts and concerns, but we can be faithful to God and his word. One of the best examples, I think, of a life of faithfulness is the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph grew up. He was his father's favorite son, and his brothers sold him into slavery unjustly. He has questions for God, I'm sure. Why do my brothers hate me? Why have I been wrongly sold into slavery? But nevertheless, that's his situation. And he gets no answers from God, at least that we're told. So when he's in slavery, what happens? His boss's wife wants him to commit adultery with her. What does Joseph do? He runs away. He does the right thing. And yet he's falsely accused and he's thrown in prison. Does Joseph have questions? Yes. Does Joseph get answers? No. So while he's in prison, he's put there. He's even supposed to get out sooner than he actually did. Eventually, he works his way up to being the second in command in the nation of Egypt. We all know the story. And yet I'm sure Joseph still had questions until when? Until he saw his family again. And he realizes that God has orchestrated everything so that he could save his family and save his future nation from death and famine. And what does Joseph say to his brothers at the end of his life? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's one of the awesome things I think about our great God. It would be one thing for God to just give us whatever we want, to not put hard circumstances in our life, to not allow suffering One of the beautiful things about God is that he turns our suffering and he turns our brokenness into something that is beautiful. And he asks us to be faithful to him. If you find it hard to be faithful, if you struggle when you have questions, if it causes you to have doubts, if it stops you from living righteously, then read the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk had these questions as well. Yet he decides that he's going to trust the Lord. God answers Habakkuk in chapter 2. He tells him not only of what he's going to do for Babylon and destroying them, but he says, Habakkuk, I want you to focus on being faithful. So that's what Habakkuk does. In chapter 3, we have an interesting psalm that Habakkuk writes. This is an actual psalm. I don't think it's in the book of Psalms, but it's a prayer that he gives to God. That's why it's such an interesting book. And as Habakkuk writes this prayer, he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. He says, I've heard what you have to say. I'm still afraid. But the rest of the prayer focuses on the attributes of God, his justice, his faithfulness, his power, his graciousness. That's the last thing I want us to see. The last reason we should study the book of Habakkuk is this. It's because God is a faithful and gracious God. Because God is a gracious God. And that's not the picture of God we get in chapter 1, is it? The picture that Habakkuk gives us of God is a God who can act, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is all-present, 
but he seems to not be doing anything. But by the time we get to the end of the book, we see a God who is still powerful, who is still present, who is still all-knowing, but who is also gracious. I want to show you what I think is my favorite passage in Habakkuk, my favorite group of verses. It's at the end of the book, verses 16 through 19. We'll look more in depth as we walk through Habakkuk, starting in chapter 1 next week. When you get to the end of the book, Habakkuk has said, I've heard everything you have to say, and pretty much God's message is, life is going to be rough. Babylon's going to come. They're going to destroy everything. But you need to be faithful. It's not the message that Habakkuk wanted. So look at verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Habakkuk says, I hear what you have to say, and physically I'm not okay. My body's shaking, my lips are trembling, rottenness is entering my bones, his knees seem to be buckling, his legs are trembling. So is Habakkuk physically okay? No, he's freaking out, he's getting worried, he's upset, he knows what is about to happen. Have you ever had something you know is going to be bad, it just has to come, it has to happen At some point, this is what it's like for Habakkuk. Yet, he says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon us, to invade us. So physically, is he okay? No. Mentally, he seems to be all over the place. Emotionally, he's probably conflicted. But spiritually, Habakkuk says, I will wait for the day of trouble. And why is that? We'll look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So what's going on here? We have fig trees, you have vines, you have olives, you have fields and cattle and all these different things showing harvest, showing produce, showing the graciousness of God and giving us food, giving us shelter, giving us protection. And Habakkuk says all of this can be cut off. There could be no figs, there could be no olives, there could be no cattle. I could have nothing to eat. I could have no clothes on my back. I could have my shelter destroyed. Whatever the case may be, when physical life circumstances have become too much, what does Habakkuk say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How does Habakkuk do that? I mean, some of us, we get upset if we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Or if, you know, I get upset if my sports team loses sometimes. So how can Habakkuk not be physically okay, not be mentally okay, have all of his life falling down around him, but he still will rejoice in the Lord? Not only that, he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can I make this clear? God is not physically saving Habakkuk. We don't know what happens to him. He could have died when the Babylonians invaded. So what is Habakkuk trying to say look at verse 19 God the Lord is 
my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. When physical life, and this is so important, when physical life circumstances aren't going our way, when we're disappointed, when we face suffering, when we face tragedy, when we get bad news, when family members turn their backs on us, when we have people we've loved and we've ministered to walk away from the faith, when we have hard family news, when loved ones die, we can be physically not okay, but spiritually we can say this, God the Lord is my strength. And so when your physical life is falling down around you, when you're spiritually finding your strength in the Lord, you can be okay. He says, he makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on high places. Feet like the deers means you can move, you can be free. If you've ever seen a deer, sometimes they run freely. They have mobility. A couple months ago, a deer had a lot of mobility in front of my car, and I thought I was going to hit it. Now, luckily, it sneaked by me real quick, but sometimes those deers need to run places where cars aren't. He says, he makes me tread on the high places. Habakkuk city was going to be destroyed, yet spiritually, Habakkuk is being encouraged by God. God is a gracious God. This is the testimony that we have as believers. What's so confusing, I think, to the outside world is not when a believer's life is going great and they praise God. It's when a believer's life is not going great and they still find their strength in the Lord. Even when you face hard circumstances, you can trust God. You can find your strength in him. And you can say, guess what? Things aren't okay. Life isn't going like I want it to go. I'm not okay. But yet with God as my strength, I can rest in him. Habakkuk says he's going to rejoice in the Lord. He will take joy in the God of my salvation. Think about how much peace he has. The imagery we get is of his city falling down But Habakkuk is still in the Lord. If you struggle with this, if you struggle to remember in hard times that God is a gracious God, then read the book of Habakkuk. It has a message for you. Why should we study Habakkuk this morning? It's because the world is wicked. We read the news, we see everything going on. And you read Habakkuk and when he says the world is full of violence, you can say amen. I agree with you. Habakkuk understood this then. We see this now as well. When we have hard questions that we don't have answers to, when life doesn't go our way, guess what? Habakkuk had hard questions as well. Habakkuk says you can go to God. He is faithful. When you find it hard to be faithful, when you still have questions and you still have to go through life and be a faithful Christian, And be a faithful worker and be a faithful husband or wife or child. Read Habakkuk. Habakkuk says the just will live by faith. When you find it hard to depend on the Lord, read Habakkuk. Habakkuk shows us that God is a gracious God. And this I wanted to tie together 
into one statement that I believe is the message of Habakkuk. The message of Habakkuk, I believe, is this. When life presses us with hard questions, we can live by faith. When life presses us with hard questions, we can live by faith. It is not wrong to have hard questions. It is wrong to let those questions stop us from being faithful to God. We'll have questions. We'll have times where we ask God for answers and God won't give them to us. Doesn't mean he's not powerful. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he's not gracious. It just means that we don't get to know the answers to our questions yet. You can ask God your questions. What is wrong is when we ask God our questions and we demand an answer. And when God doesn't give us the answer we want, we aren't faithful. When life presses us with hard questions, we can live by faith. What does it look like to live by faith in difficult circumstances with hard questions? First of all, love God. Depend on him. Find your strength in him. Remember his promises that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's loving. Secondly, what has God called you to do? Read his word. Pray. Be faithful to him in your church. Be faithful to your family. Work faithfully for the Lord. Live a life of faithfulness for others. As we conclude this morning, I don't normally give homework, but as we start this book, I want to have some homework for Habakkuk. Next week we'll start with the beginning of chapter 1, and we'll start looking at really the story of Habakkuk and his message for us. This has been to help us understand why we should study Habakkuk and what the message is. So here's your homework. There won't be a quiz or anything next week, but the Lord does know. Number one, read the book of Habakkuk. Read the book of Habakkuk. It's three chapters. If you're a fast reader, you can probably blow through it pretty quick. If you're a slow reader, you can still get through the book in a reasonable amount of time. And let me give you some suggestions. Read it more than once. If you're like me, the first time I read something, I don't really read it. I need to read it over and over again to really understand what is happening. Even as I was reading through Habakkuk several times this week, it wasn't until the fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth time that I really understood what God's message was in the book. Read it in different translations. You can read it in your favorite translation, but try to read it in other translations. See what other versions say. Ask questions. Journal. Take notes. Secondly, ask God your hard questions. When life is difficult, you don't have to be afraid to ask the Lord. What, do you think God doesn't know the answer? Do any of us think that we have a question for God that he's going to say, oh, I didn't think of that one. We can ask God our hard questions. He may not give us the answer we want, but we can still ask them. And then lastly, live faithfully, remembering God's grace. And we're thankful for his grace this morning. I'm excited for the book of Habakkuk. I hope you are as well. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the rest of our time together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace and strength you give us to walk by faith. 
We pray that you would help us to live faithfully as your children. God, we do have hard questions sometimes. We won't deny that. But even when we have hard questions, help us to remember to bring those questions to you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.